episode 79 and we're back for a new season uh it's been quite a few months since you've heard from us but we've been relatively in the weeds um working on the uh, greater um kind of like d-web narrative the conversation continually around governance um uh and of course like we continue to see the proliferation of like DeFi and other experiments around that there's been a lot of movements in the overall general markets there has been a flurry of new different de the technical developments around um, just foundational infrastructure that bridges and ties everything together. Like or the industry is seemingly in a much healthier place as far as like extensibility, um, but as well as bringing on new entrants into the space that have a varied, um, but very necessary um, view on where things should go. Like every cycle, we get new entrants that come in um, who are of course brilliant as, as the rest of all of us, um, but they come in usually from a different sector, a different industry or a background wherein it has now become an intersection with crypto. Uh, and so our two guests that we brought on today are two people that I've been working with um, very personally, like over the years, one of them more recently, but we feel like we've known each other forever. Um, and, you know, we've been just exploring the topics around um, governance, um, philosophy, um, sociology, the right ways to kind of think ethically about what's going to happen through the deployment of these various different assets and things like that. Um, and so like that being said, um, we'll, we're going to dive right into the show. But before we do that, we're back with a new season with Demetric Ferguson, who I'm so happy to have back on the show, hanging out with us again. Demetric, how have you been? Are you all right? How's the family? Oh, man, I've been good. My, my, my general user life outside of crypto keeps me busy. I necessarily I haven't been in the weeds like you, Maggie, but I will point them shits out from afar as a general I've, user. I've been in the weeds. There's some weeds over there. In the weeds. Someone <laughs> should cut them. Walk through them, smoke them, do something. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so so like I said, you know, we're back with uh with, with the new season. And there is no every season I always come up with something witty. I'm like, oh, this is season freedom. This is season Batman. This is season something, something saves the world. This is season, let's just be present. Let's sit here and optimistically think about where the industry should move forward and think about where we have been, but also doing so from standing atop the shoulders of giants that have been kind of like watching these types of landscapes, these types of technologies, these types of initiatives, and know better than us. And so um, that being said, we're going to learn from some people today who are very astute um, as far as like generally understanding the people and the legal and the technological aspects of what we're creating, whether it's ethical or non-ethical. These are two people that I'm very much depend on to be that non-logical part of my brain that is my default mode. Um, so that being said, our two guests today are going to be Divya Siddharth 
um, from who works at Radical Exchange and as well as Microsoft, and as well as um, Matthew Pruitt, who's been working with me as an advisor here at Amentum for many years and who is the president of um, uh, Radical Exchange as well. Um, so let's just go ahead and get things started with Divya. Divya, can you just tell us a little bit about your person, who you are, and uh, just generally kind of like what your interests are and your background that led you to this space? And then we'll hop into that. Yeah, absolutely. It's a tall order to capture yourself so fast, but I will do my best. Um, so people I think, gotta know. <laughs> uh, I think you know I've been driven by and thinking about these questions of of power and prefiguration for a long time, and just kind of unpacking that, um, thinking of technology as a system of exerting and uh, distributing power in different ways. Um, and prefiguration is this idea of embodying the society you want to see in how you live day to day and how you structure organizations and how you structure relationships and cooperations. And I think those two things have really been driving me. How do we have a prefigurative sense of the power relationships that we want to build? And then how do we put that into our technological systems? And so coming from there, it's sort of clear why I would have ended up thinking about crypto as one of the ways that you can do that and also one of the spaces where that's happening, whether we like it or not. And so how can we target that in a direction that's sort of towards a better future? Um, and I think I've considered power and pre prefiguration. You know, I worked with social movements. I've worked with unions and, and cooperatives. I've worked with um, big tech companies, obviously, as you've mentioned. I've worked across a lot of these places where power is, is exercised and distributed. And, um, you know, I think there's a lot we can do to collectively build towards that better future if we're really careful about these kinds of questions. And so that's uh, really what brings me here. Perfect. Thank you. And of course, the other person we have on the show today is Matthew Pruitt. Matt, tell us who you are as a person, man. He's a good person, but I want him to tell you that. <laughs> Uh, well, one thing that I think <clears throat> is significant about me is I've spent most of my life being like pretty aggressively bad at branding myself and sort of reducing myself to like a, like a thumbnail or whatever, but I'm getting better at it. And, uh, the, the, uh, uh, like one story that I sometimes tell about myself now, which is true and kind of, uh, revealing is that like when I was like 11 or something, I had to do some sort of essay contest that, where it was like, you know, right. Uh, the prompt was like, what do you want to change about the world? Or something? And I said, um, uh, I said, I want to ban money. I wrote an essay about let's ban money when I was 11. And I, and I think that the remainder, the, you know, the rest of my life has in some ways been like an exploration of like what I meant by that. Um, and, um, um, you know, so, I mean, I, I've spent a lot of, a lot of my life worrying about, uh, like socioeconomic inequality, basically, um, you know, was was very kind of um, activated by my experience of the, like the 2008 crash um, and, and, you know, the ways that the sort of uh, harms from that were unequally distributed. Um, and, um, uh, and and I'm also, you know, I've also I also think a lot about technology, about how you know, how shifts in the technological landscape affect the distribution of power um, and uh, how, you know, technological revolutions kind of give us a um, give us a chance to reconfigure power in a in a in a felicitous way, you know, but also also don't necessarily do that. And 
sometimes make things worse. And, um, and I think that, you know, kind of navigating technological shifts with, uh, with, uh, with that in mind, cautiously and, and, and actively and kind of, you know, getting in there and talking about, you know, what, what the reconfiguration of power that whatever the next technological shift brings about what talking about what it's going to look like and what it should look like to me is important. And it's what I've been trying to do for the past, uh, you know, uh, for the past several years. So, you know, I became interested in blockchain technology early because I perceived it as, as one of these, um, one of these possible um, moments in which power is, is reconfigured. And I wanted to help that go well and help that not go poorly. Uh, so, um, you know, that's what I've been, that's what I've been thinking about and worrying about in, in different ways over the past uh, decade. Mm. Do you like Star yeah. Trek, Matt? Yeah, I love Star Trek. I love Star Trek. Yeah. yeah. They banned money in Star Trek. You know, we're not going to go to the stars. Until we banned <laughs> that was, that was, that was Matt's idea. That was Matt's idea. Future Matt. Banned money in Star Trek. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so thank you for, thank you for the lovely intros from the both of you. So, you know, it, those are always important because before we talk about any sort of enlightening dealism or perspective on where the industry should go, it's always important for the audience to understand like who you are functionally from an emotional standpoint and be able to like actually like hear in your voice through your inflections, the confidence and or the emotional attachment that you have to your own like personal story. Um, that's one of the things I really like about block channel is that we're not here to just like chill or to just like learn about a technology. We're here to learn about the people behind the technologies and then a little bit about the technologies because ultimately at the end of the day that is what's going to that's what's going to end up mattering when we, when we need to have these types of discussions on where the industry goes forward it's important to know where people's hearts are um so like that being said uh we'll dive next into what you all are working on we'll go through, we'll go through the same sort of like uh round robin process divya matt uh, so we'll start with you again uh divya uh like just tell us uh give us a background about what it is you have been working on um, since you've come into the crypto space, you can be as detailed or as, as scant as you'd like. Uh, and just, just give us an idea of um, the types of initiatives that you work on personally in a day-to-day. Yeah, I'm happy to. I think in some ways, I sort of feel like the crypto space came to me in that, you know, I was thinking about these questions of power, of technology, working with movements, working with cooperatives, um, and had in the back of my mind, you know, intersected with some pieces of crypto, but it's more because crypto conversations started talking about the things that I care about a lot that I felt pulled into that and really excited about some of those possibilities. Um, and I think broadly that comes from this question of, of democracy, which I'm sure something is something we'll talk about later. And, um, you know, we've all discussed at various points and, you know, if, one of the things I want to do in my life uh, is democratize spaces. Well, that means a lot of questions around, you know, what does it mean to have voice over something? What does it mean to have meaningful participation? What does it mean to do it in such a way that it's usable and not overwhelming? What does it mean? Um, you know, there are some places in tech that, that think about democratization as just sort of like access. Um, whereas, you know, I think it's also decision-making power, all of these questions. And I think crypto creates mechanisms to really think through some of that at a practical level. And I don't think it's necessarily the, the case that they all move towards a direction of democracy. And I think it's definitely possible that there are some 
ways of decentralization that are orthogonal even to democracy. And so all of those kinds of things happening are what scooped me into being like, oh, I want to be a part of these conversations and really see what um, what these new mechanisms can do for these uh, kind of broader goals that are important to me. And so on that, I think I started out my sort of research and writing work in crypto on this concept of proof of personhood uh, and worked with some wonderful collaborators, uh, Sergey, Paula Berman, Santi Siri, um, on kind of reviewing what it would look like to move um, algorithms and, and consensus protocols from proof of work and proof of stake to proof of personhood, which I think is in some ways an incredibly and deeply democratic concept, right? How do we make it so that you're participating in a community based on the fact that you're a person, based on membership in that community that doesn't have to, have to come from these somewhat more plutocratic mechanisms? And that really opened up you know, my eyes to a lot of the parts of the ecosystem that cared about those things, those proof of personhood protocols, but also all of the groups like Gitcoin and others that wanted to build on top of those personhood protocols and say, you know, voting is what matters to us, democracy is what matters to us. And hey, all of that comes down to this question of, of identity. And so that's been, um, you know, a chunk of my work. And then Matt and I have both been thinking a lot about data cooperatives and sort of data unions and data governance. And I think that to me also ties into these questions of identity and sort of um, democracy over some of our most, you know, foundational uh, uh, assets or, or outpourings on, on the digital sphere, which is our data, which can be both so personal and so collective. And I think crypto, again, does a good job um, at its best, not always of mediating between the individual and the collective. And that can be really interesting in, in the data space. And so those are some of the pieces that I've been thinking about. And I would say the third is um, kind of another big buzzword behemoth term, which is I work on, on AI in a bit and, and decentralizing the power concentration that might in some ways be inherent um, in the centralizing potential of AI, right? And I think, you know, there are some arguments that we we fix that problem by throwing AI kind of on a blockchain and being like, well, it's, it's now, the architecture is now decentralized. And so the concentration of power issues are solved. And I think one thing I'm interested in is how do we actually solve those issues with some of these governance mechanisms without falling prey to the, well, we have one centralized tech and one decentralized tech. And if we shove them together, you know, it'll be neutral. Uh, so those are all kind of things that I've been thinking through. Thank you so much. And then the perfect segue to that, of course, would be Matt's work because it is very, very much um, uh, similar uh, as far as like energy goes and as far as like interest. So Matt, tell us, tell us what it is you're working on as well. And then from there, we will then kind of just start this roundtable like general discussion. Sure. So, I mean, the, you know, the um, majority of my work for the past few years has been on Radical Exchange, which is uh, which is essentially a, a project, um, uh, again a project a project notoriously difficult to summarize. But it, it's um, uh, what, what we're what we're really doing is thinking about the future of political economy and thinking about uh, how to uh, make it possible for democratic power to sort of expand up, down, and sideways and assert itself as a meaningful way for power to, um, um, for power to be organized in society. So you can think of, uh, uh, so and this is a bit of an oversimplification, but one way that I sometimes think about things is that, you know, you've got different sort of um, ways that power can, can express itself and can organize itself in society. It can organize itself through um, through capital, uh, can organize itself through sort of centralized government power. 
can organize itself through uh, through democracy. So I, I sort of think of these actually as three different things, which is which is a little bit different from how a lot of people think about it because a lot of people sort of associate democracy with government power. I don't. I I, I like sort of, to sort of decouple those things. To think of d- democracy as a uh, sort of a mode in which um, in, in which power can can express itself in all kinds of different contexts, not just in government contexts. Um, and um, so, uh, you know, but in order for, uh, you know, and, and, and I base I, I think that it's essentially democratic power. Um, it, well, there's a few things to say here. You know, w- one is that a, a, ba- a major part of my work and radical exchanges work. And I think that the work that we all need to need to do at this moment in history is it's a sort of de-buzzwordify democracy, right? So the, the democracy is a word that has been used and abused and appropriated uh, by all the wrong people uh, far, far too much. And um, th- that it's a shame because it's such an important concept, right? And I don't think we have another word for it, right? So it's not one of these things where we can just kind of discard this word and come up with a new one. Like we, we really need to to defend the defend the 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 concept of democracy and even the word and uh, and assert a deeper conception of uh, of, of what uh, what democracy means. So that in order to make it possible for mm, us to well, organize power that way. Um, so we've we've heard that we've heard that word we've heard that word buzz uh, that buzzword no I'm gonna pause into this for a second we've heard that buzzword democracy many times and to me it's not a buzzword clearly it's an important distinction of you know having a, a free market a free economy and having a free country um, but that being said can you very briefly succinctly if I said Matt what is democracy yeah how what what would you what would you say off the top of your mind what is what is that definition. Um, okay. That's a great question. I mean, so what, one, one thing I would, that, um, I, basically it has to do with, um, uh, with the idea that, um, that everyone, um, over whom, you know, power is, is, is asserted, uh, has an equal right to participate in the stewardship of that power. I mean, that, that's basically the core of it to me. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so and, nothing. So, so it's ba- the base primitive of people having a voice in some decision-making process, and it being fairly so. It, right. It's it's about it's about participation in power, and, and it's also about the belief that people are sort of qualified to participate. Yep. In power, right. So that mm-hmm. uh, you know, power shouldn't just be in the hands of you know people who sort of consider themselves to be experts or people who you know uh, ha- happen to. Uh, Happen to you know own a lot of assets or a lot of money, right? It's 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 basically there's there's this, a fundamental human um, uh, uh, qualification to be able to add valuable information uh, to the process of 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 steering power and and exerting power and, and participating in it, um, um, and that you know that um, so I mean that's the sort of that fundamental idea of, of democracy to me. And I, and I think it also has to do with like um, embeddedness in communities. Um, you know, the idea that, um, that for example, you know, when a, uh, when a community 
governs itself, the you know that that the power that is expressed through the community's governance is sort of rooted in the fabric of the community itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that you know, for example, I mean, I mean, just to take a you know, I I was saying earlier that it's important to think about democracy and power beyond the state and outside of the state, and I, I do want to emphasize that. But just because it's a simpler example, I think it's useful to it's useful to think about like political power in a state context. So, if we have, um, I think that the right way of thinking about state power, for example, um, is that you know, insofar as it's legitimate, and it isn't fully legitimate, right? But insofar as it is. Um, it's that power is grounded in the sort of like social obligations that we have to one another, these sort of horizontal obligations that we have to one another as like members of a, members of a common community. So, so our obligation to obey the law, for example, is, is, is a sort of, um, a refraction of our obligation to treat one another well, to respect one another. Um, and, um, uh, so that's the yeah. I mean, there's a lot more to say about that, but there, that's a little you know, uh, some gesturing towards the. You know, yeah, what I, I just I just I, I just wanted to see I where. Also, I would add. I think a lot of that comes from thinking about democracy as a verb, not as a noun. Right? Thinking about democracy mm-hmm. as something you do, not something you are. And I think mm-hmm. that is kind of exactly Matt's distinction of this isn't just state power. Well, you can't just say we live in a democracy and and kind of call it quits, right? I think it's really a question of even within a government context, well, what are the parts of those decision-making process that are actually run democratically and what aren't? And outside of that context, you can ask the exact same question because democracy is a a process you undertake. And no matter how you self-describe, it's it's possible to see and to make some, you know, even empirical um, or at least qualitatively empirical judgments on whether something is democratic or not, because you can tell whether someone's doing democracy. And I think that's something that we sometimes lose in trying to be like, this thing is democratic. This is a democracy. Well, let's see if they're doing democracy. And if not, let's figure out how they can do more democracy. Right. And I think those are are sort of the the fundamental questions here. And that also makes it possible for lots of things to be democratic, which I think is great because you don't have to be a democracy TM to be democratic in some ways. We can look at a workplace and say like, hey, how much democracy are they doing? And can they do a little bit more democracy? And that doesn't mean you have to be like, my workplace is a democracy or not. It's just doing more democracy that can lead to more participation, more voice, this distribution of benefits question, right? The, The real material consequences of democracy, which are often economic, And I think the other piece is democracy requires, therefore, that difference between financial and economic power and political power, where we say we're not going to have political power gated on financial and economic power. Those things are separate. And that's what makes it possible to do democracy. If you didn't have those things separate enough, then you can't do democracy. Right. And so I think that brings us again to, you know, in the spectrum of, of are you doing democracy versus not? Well, you need some of those separations to even have a, have the fertile ground for democracy to be done. Yeah, I think that, um, and perfect. Thank you guys both for your explanations and, and breaking that down um, because, you know, our audience is investors and developers, um, retail, everyone, not everyone, is necess- everyone has heard of democracy, but not necessarily everyone has understood the importance of governance in the crypto space. And it's one of those things that is kind of a touchy subject 
because when you come to a space that was like kind of like you know built off of the backs of like crypto anarchy and libertarianism and etc you have these people that have this sort of like nasty knee-jerk reaction when they hear the word governance when they hear the word governance they think oh someone's trying to come try, someone's trying to come in here and boss us around um but in actuality that isn't the case like i think of it as governance it's just like that natural process that emerges either meritocratically or just through the placement of standards and procedures wherein there are now norms that people follow for decisions to be made uh, and like whether those um, decisions are being made like passively, like subconsciously or being made consciously, um, all of it plays into governance. So passively, what I mean by that is crypto economically from a mechanism design standpoint, what is my mindset based on what is my incentive to possess that mindset? Uh, and then the other part of it is, okay, how do I go about working in an ecosystem distributed globally all over the world with many different people from many different backgrounds existing under many different, you know, um, uh, governance related regimes uh, and make sure that we can all speak the same common language on how we should bridge and move these technologies forward. So that being said, my question is, I'm going to pose to both of you and then I'm going to leave things open up for Dimitri to dig into you guys, but neither of you can answer this question. And it's a very important one distinctly to know is how do you respond to someone who says, that's all well and good, but we don't need what you guys are doing because the blockchain will handle it for us. Like, we don't need to worry about dem democracy or governance. We just need to make pull requests and, you know, and continue to like add on to these code bases and keep things interoperable. And, and slowly over time, it'll take care of itself. Um, well, there's a couple things I would say to that off the bat. Um, you know, one is that um, I think that, oh, um, all right, so there's, there's sort of, there's sort of two things themes that I'd like to put out on the table here. One is there's a, there's a fairly prevalent idea out there um, uh, having to do with this opposition between like voice and exit. So, so for example, a lot of people think basically that governance can happen through exit, right? That we can all just sort of like choose which governance like system we want to participate in and just like exit the ones that we don't want to be participating in. Right. Um, I think that that is, uh, I view that, that logic as flawed for the following reason. Um, I, I think that, um, it, basically if you, if you think about the, um, uh, well, there's a couple ways to think about this. One is that if 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 exiting every community is completely costless, I mean, first of all, that just isn't true, right? First of all, just mm -hmm. as a matter of fact, like most of the communities that we participate in, whether they're political communities or social communities or whatever, you know, exiting them is extremely costly, right? Mm -hmm. um, and um, if we're creating new communities where exit is costless, what we're basically doing is creating creating communities where uh, people don't have anything invested in them, where people sort of aren't invested in the uh, in the social the sociality of the of the community. So, in a sense, like if we aren't if we aren't committed to using uh, to using voice, if we aren't committed to sort of governing ourselves in communities through. Uh, through voice, not necessarily exclusively, but if that isn't like a major part of the equation, we aren't really doing governance, and we aren't really um, we aren't really 
going to be capable of collaborating, right? We aren't going to be able to sort of get the benefits of working together uh, uh, as as communities. So, what I guess what I'm saying is that I think a lot of the a lot of the idea that we can sort of um, escape from governance is really like an impulse to sort of escape from sociality and just sort of like imagine that we can that we can all like exist without having you know. Uh, without our actions having consequences for other people. And it's kind of imaginary, right? I mean, the, the, the reality is that the world is getting like more interconnected, not less interconnected. You know, as, as technology develops, we aren't gaining the ability to, uh, to imagine, to, you know, act in silos and to, you know, be, you know, conduct our lives with no consequences for other people. We're actually losing our ability to conduct our lives in ways that have no consequences for other people. And what that means is that we need to accept our, we, we need to, you know, in, in all kinds of ways, we need to accept our embeddedness in communities, accept the need to, to coordinate and communicate and deliberate and uh, interact with one another. Um, and that's what governance is, right? Um, so, um, you know, um, I mean, there are certain, there are, you know, important concessions to make to the other. This isn't like a one-sided argument. And there, there are, there are ways that I think um, new technologies enable us to, um, to isolate ourselves in ways that we like weren't quite able to isolate ourselves in, in, in previous generations. So like the, there's not nothing to that, but on, on the whole, I, I, I think that we are moving towards a more interconnected world our actions are having more consequences on other people rather than fewer as time goes on. And that means that we need to, that, you know, exit isn't enough. We need to be uh, interacting through voice and um, uh, we need to be, you know, getting better at uh, behaving in communities and, and governing ourselves democratically, not sort of uh, taking a step back from that. Yeah. And I think it, I mean, I absolutely agree with, with so much of that and this idea that, you know, autonomy is circumscribed by inter interdependence, right? Basically, you're only autonomous in the sense that you have the capacity to exercise your capabilities as is created by the community and the society and the family and the friends and the whatever that you're a part of. And I think beyond that, I mean, there's, there's that line, like you may not care about politics, but politics cares about you. Like, I think that's the case with governance. Like you may not think you need governance, but governance is coming for you. Like there is governance, whether you, you put it in place or not, it's being governed. It just may not be on purpose. And I think it's, first of all, it's better if it's on purpose. I mean, I think that is a, I'm happy to make that claim. And, and beyond that, you know, I think we see even in many of, in a lot of DAOs, for example, like there's a reason a lot of governance protocols move off chain and you see people on discord and mm -hmm. on Twitter and, you know, using all sorts of polling platforms and, you know, having sometimes invite only council calls, like all of these things are because it's incredibly difficult to remove the human element from governance. And you often see your system break down if you do that. Um, however, as Matt was saying, it's very possible to use technology to 
uh, enable governance processes, to get rid of some of the failures of previous governance processes, right? I mean, we can improve, we can learn from the governance processes we have. This happens in other kinds of uh, doing things all the time. A huge innovation in governance, even in Silicon Valley, was giving employees stock options. That may not seem like a governance innovation, but it is. And it changed the way people interacted with the governance of companies in a lot of ways. And I think in a lot of ways, it's been positive. There are lots of questions about it, but essentially, yes, you know, like if we're moving towards that model in a DAO, then I think it makes a difference and it changes governance structures, but it doesn't mean there are no governance structures or we're getting rid of those. Um, yeah. And one interesting thing is, you know, Matt brought up exit and voice, which is uh, popularized by or come up with by, I guess, Albert Hirschman, who really knew what he was talking about. I mean, he like fought on the side of the Spanish Republic and the Spanish Civil War, like fought against the Nazis, like really had a sense, right, of of these questions of exit and voice and democracy. Um, really recommend his work. And it's interesting because the book was called Exit, Voice and Loyalty, I think. And his point was actually that, you know, loyalty in organizations and cooperation and all of these things often comes from non-economic modes of interaction. And that's what even just conversations about exit and voice might miss because there are so many layers of interactions that are at play, particularly in the voice piece, as Matt was saying, um, and, you know, if we're not creating organizations that have that sense of community and loyalty, I think we're really, you know, losing out on something that could be incredible, that could really create new forms of mutual ownership and cooperation and all of these things. And so partly, you know, I stick to my earlier point, governance is coming for you anyway, but partly I think uh, we can do a lot more when we're very intentional about governance so that we can create these relationships, Stephen, as you were saying, across the world, across communities, across people who do things differently um, and, and you know, leverage that towards uh, solving some of our bigger problems, which are also coming for us. So. so how does crypto build a bridge and create an environment, a global environment to have a nonviolent exit? Because if you go through history and you look at exits from paradigms and exits from systems, it's not cute. Like it's not Doge. It's not Shiba coin. It's straight up. We're going to stab these hearts, put them on a sword and hang that sword in front of the community. So they understand you don't vote that way. You vote this <laughs> way. Right? Like that's how exits typically happen with humans. So how do we change the history? How do we change the story with the technology that we have? Because the only reason I'm asking is because what I see is not even a slippery slope, but a straight up suicide dive off the edge in crypto to not changing that story, to power centralizing. We have these governance tokens coming up. But like you said, all that's going to happen is they're going to take the governance conversation off of Discord and they're going to go to status. They're going to take it off of status and they're going to go to Facebook Messenger. They're going to take the conversation where they want the conversation to go, right? Where they want the power to go. That's just, that's human nature, right? Like we were all kids. We play, hey, you're not in our club. You can't come to our treehouse. All right. Why can't I come? Because you live on that side of the street. This is the this side of the street clubhouse. Like that's human nature. So how does this technology prevent or, I don't know, evolve human nature? I think that's the question that we all need to think about. Mm, I want to speak on that while those two think on that. Um, and so one of the things that I would say to that, Demetric, as a whole, because this is something that I've been thinking about, 
because there are so many knee-jerk like reactions when people say governance because so many people don't understand what that is. So I try and emphasize it from a technological standpoint with like layers, and you'll see this parroted many times throughout the community, especially as of recent, and that governance is layer zero. The chains are layer one, and Matt actually wrote a great article about this at one point, whether or not he still agrees with those points, but it is here on blockchain. It's called blockchains are governance. And this will express what I mean by what is layer one and what is layer zero. Layer zero is this right here, right? The generalized discussion, trying to come to a quorum, kind of kind of see like where ethically um, from, you know, whatever ethos that we all have de derived for ourselves, where do we align? Where do we find that alignment? Where does it occur naturally? And then of course it becomes, well then, who, who here has the most senior understanding of these like, different types of concepts? Cool, let's hear them out. And then whether that we're gonna hear them out over a series of discourse discussions, um, GitHub issues, um, Twitter, like basically like we're trying to find consensus over time, uh, socially, not only, not only just literally out loud, but also intuitively. Like you have to literally read the vibe. No, oh cool, uh, how, what do people think about EIP 1559? For the longest time we don't know we don't we don't know oh wait okay it's awesome we have all this extra capability now because there's this extra asset inflation in ethereum and the burning was a good thing but it took a while for for the general like kind of crypto industry in the ethereum community to say okay yeah, yeah, yeah i get it okay yeah deflation's good with this okay helps with the fee market here with that okay yada 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 awesome and then but like to distill that down that is that layer zero. And then and only then can somebody go and say, hey, let's make a decision whether or not we want to merge this into a layer one, which then of course has effects that go outward to how does this affect DAOs and their contracts that exist on this chain? How does this exist any, you know, digital autonomous like cooperatives by any means um, that are using some smart contract system that extends into these, like, you know, that it works from this middle and out. Um, and so, and, and, but in that middle out action, that expression, that emergence is unavoidable. And so for us, it's not, it's not, in my opinion, at least at Immensum, when I think about these things, it's not, it's not necessarily like, how do I build these tools to make this more actionable? Cause that's going to naturally come. It's going to be like, can I explain to the general overall ecosystem why this matters? Because if you can understand why it matters, just like distributed technology, decentralization, uh, 2FA security, all these tiny little tidbits that you pick up in crypto, and then you just get it. And, and, you know, a lot of it is just people never being really introduced to these types of concepts and realizing how changes actually occur in currencies uh, or on-chain organizations themselves. I guess I would also take a brief opportunity to sort of push back on the idea that exit has to be like bloody and horrific. I think, I mean, I think it's true that I love there, have been, <laughs> there have been like major ruptures and revolutions in human history that have been bloody and horrific. Um, but there have al also been major kind of transitions in economic systems, capital, uh, sorry, feudalism to capitalism uh, is a example that you hear a lot that, you know, weren't that way, that were sort of like mm -hmm. gentle transitions. Um, and yes, there were major difficulties throughout, but I'm hopeful that the transition from capitalism to post-capitalism, uh, you know, can be done through thinking about these kinds of you know, verb-like, let's say, processes of democracy, of voice, of participation, of economic benefits, et cetera. That's a broad point. I think more specifically, like what, what do we do about it um, in these particular instances? Well, I think, um, you know, I love projects like Exit to Community, for example, um, which is incredible work that's being done 
that basically thinks about how do we take major platforms or um, organizations and other things and whether it's through tokens or not exit them to the community of people that built and participate in them rather than you know typical other ways of exit which are you know either ipos are being acquired um and i think there are those kinds of open spaces and green shoots basically in terms of thinking about these different ways of exit um that you know do distribute power even in the process of of exit and that to Stephen, what you were saying um, in terms of all of these different mechanisms and, you know, some of the tools being built anyway, but it's about explaining and kind of educating. And I think it, it, democracy comes from, you know, people buying into the process and uh, believing in it. And as Matt was saying, also mm -hmm. being seen themselves as sources of knowledge uh, in that process. And I think all of that comes from, you know, one on the mechanism side, but much more on the social side. And you know, there's always a slight contradiction because we're working in these spaces to build those processes. And yet the point of those processes is to make sure that these conversations happen outside our small spaces, right? And I think pushing those borders more and more is really how how we meaningfully change things. So one, um, on, the, uh, on the topic of kind of how blockchain technology interacts with 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 these questions of governance, um, I think <clears throat> I think here's what I would say. Like, um, so I wrote, I wrote a, you know I guess it was, must have been 2018. Now I wrote that piece. Uh, blockchains are governance. I'm pretty sure I stand by everything that's in that. Um, uh, but here's the here's the distinction that I'd like to make. So the um, if you imagine. Um, Imagine a world where like one person has all the money. Imagine like the like maximum power concentration world. So we have like Jeff Bezos times a million or whatever and everybody else. Um, so in that world, Jeff Bezos, you know, who has infinite money and everybody else has zero money. Uh, you know, Jeff Bezos could use a blockchain system mm -hmm. to set up a set of incentives that would control the behavior of everyone else. Right. Mm -hmm. So in that sense. You know, um, uh, you know, blockchain embodies a form of governance, right? Mm -hmm. The um, but what it doesn't what it doesn't embody in that case is legitimate authority, right? So in other mm -hmm. words, it's it's being it's being used uh, it's being used to influence the behavior of large numbers of people. But that's different from you know that that sort of is just a different question from whether the power behind it is legitimate um mm -hmm. and so uh um so when i so okay so then how can how can blockchain technology facilitate sort of democratic authority mm -hmm. well if you can use it to um to organize the uh, the masses on the other side of the equation, right? So we've got Jeff Bezos, we've got everybody else, right? So if you, if you, if you can use the technology to organize the energies and the intelligence and the power of everyone else to serve as a counterbalance to Jeff Bezos in that case, and actually, you know, um, and, 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 you know, that's, that's how it can, you know, do good, right? That's how it can facilitate mm -hmm. sort of genuine democracy and a different configuration of power. And the way that that the way that that can happen, or the way that I, you know, um, would like to help that happen, is is by um, 
by, uh, and I, I believe that that, so first of all, I believe that either thing can happen. I believe power can concentrate and I believe it can also like, you know, deconcentrate. The way that it can deconcentrate is when you set up tools and, 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 and systems and kind of new ways of synthesizing information between people that enable the collective intelligence of the many to basically like outperform the concentrated intelligence of the one of the of the single Jeff Bezos, right? So everybody put together actually is a lot smarter than Jeff Bezos. The problem is that everybody has trouble understanding each other. People have trouble synthesizing their their different ideas and their different impulses. Their their sort of slightly different interests. But by organizing that collective intelligence, you can actually uh, build something that manages the economy better or indeed even like manages Amazon better than Jeff Bezos. Mm -hmm. And it's by building tools that enable that to happen that we sort of push, uh, push power, push power out and push the world towards a more democratic configuration of power. That's not that that's not it's never inevitable. That's never a foregone conclusion. Mm -hmm. But but by focusing on um, on helping that happen through building the right tools, focusing in the right areas of technology, and also, um, you know, embedding, and also, you know, focusing on the communities themselves and, the, you know, em em embedding these tools in, uh, you know, like genuine organic social forms, right? That's mm -hmm. how we, the, you know, that's the, the direction, right? That, that's how you bring about mm -hmm. a, a, a better, you know, uh, uh, like a more just, fairer, more efficient than, you know, a world that we'd all rather live in. Excellent. Uh, thank, thank you for, thank you, thank you too for like highlighting all those points. Hopefully the, um, the audience can step away with more of a clear interpretation of like why these things matter if they didn't already possess that. Um, but to, to close things out here and to, uh, to keep it succinct and, and simple for everyone, um, tell us, each of you, one thing, uh, we'll start with Divya, uh, that you have picked up learning with all these different people from these different multidisciplinary backgrounds. You all must have picked up, gleaned something where you're like, oh, wow, so this is why this is the way this is, or this is why crypto has this problem. What is something that you guys have picked up through like learning across all these different like segments to find this sensible intersection going forward? I'm tempted to punt to Matt. Um... <laughs> I think one thing that's come to mind for me very consistently, and this is not just in crypto, but in a lot of sort of the long-term thinking tech spaces that I'm a part of and intersect with is there is a desire to create kind of a utopia, right? And I think that utopia kind of comes out of also in some ways abstracting away the human issues that you know we see around us today, coordination problems, corruption, um, you know, we want to get rid of difficult deliberation things, polarization, like all of these kinds of things. These are fundamentally human issues. And it's very tempting to be like, well, with the right technology, we can just overcome them with the right content moderation. Mm. And, you know, with the right uh, automated rules and with the right smart contract and with the right, you know, AI decision making system, we're just going to get past it. Like we're going to be better than that stuff. Um, and you know, I think we will get better at a lot of types of decision making. We'll get better at a lot of types of coordination. And it's important 
to keep in mind that we're not doing it for the sake of getting rid of the human aspect of how we interact with each other. We're doing it for the sake of augmenting and enabling that human aspect. We're doing it for the sake of better collaboration and coordination. And that's partly because, you know, I happen to think that's a normative good. But I also think to Matt's earlier point that it works better. And we have historical examples of the fact that this is the type of system that works better. And I don't think you know, our future technologies are going to get us out of that, but they have the incredible and beautiful potential of exponentiating all of those kinds of, of cooperations and collaborations that we could create and, you know, building an ecology of intelligences, essentially, rather than towards a specific utopia. So I guess my big takeaway here is, you know, we can design for much better processes. We can design better decision-making processes, better organizational processes, all of this kind of stuff, processes that allow for more democracy, all of these things. We cannot design for the perfect outcome and doing so often breaks process to such an extent that our outcome sucks and our process is bad. And then what do we have? You know, so I think I would just say I see so many branching and alternate paths of how we can coordinate and, and build intelligences that interact with each other, that interact with nature, that are regenerative. And the only thing that I really, really see more than anything getting in the way of that are you know, replicating our entrenched power structures and doing that because we want to achieve some sort of perfect outcome. Um, and I just don't think that's possible. And I think we'll get a lot farther by not doing that. Touchdown. Glad you didn't punt that. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> that came out well. And like the whole, the whole time you were saying that, I was thinking to myself, man, it's obvious. Everyone, and I just had this realization, this epiphany. And I was like, everyone's like, oh, we can fix all these problems with technology. But the issue is like for at some point in human history, we stopped thinking of conversations as a form of technology when it totally is. So we should just approach these things as not only saying, what is the technological potential solution to this, but also pair that with, and what conversation needs to come with that so that we can actually like move this forward and not just deploy this haphazardly into this ecosystem. It can cause all the sort of like potential disarray and second order effects, right? Um, so like it's being methodical and like, like actually like communicating would sound so simple on paper, but communication itself is a, is, is a technology inherently and of itself so much so that we've had to rapidly like get it to a point where we're literally doing it in an instant anywhere in the world and we take advantage of that. Um, and so no excellent points. Thank you so much. I definitely agree with everything you said there. Um, I, I, I do like to close it out. I want to at least leave Matt a chance to say like, hey, Matt, what lesson have you learned as you know, like um, you're president at Radical Exchange, I believe, right? Um, so clearly you've interacted with a lot of important people. So what lesson have you distilled from all this? Well, I, I'd, I'd actually, I'd like to just dovetail with what you were just saying, which is, which is you know, this idea of conversation, which I, I think is so, mm -hmm. so crucial. Like one, one way that I, um, one, you know, to me, one of these great examples of like a, like a positive view for, of how technology can enhance democracy and can make us able to, you know, co cooperate better, is if we think about the possibilities for technology to enhance conversation, just literally, just conversation. So, for example, you know, what instead of if we think about like like um, machine learning or AI, or whatever, in, what if instead of making you know um, chatbots that you know trick us into thinking that they're another person. You know, what if we make predictive engines that that sort of like mediate conversation or facilitate conversation, right? So that suppose it's suppose it's listening to you and I, Stephen, talking, mm -hmm. and it's and it's predicting like like what is the what is the little 
single piece of information that will help Matt understand what Stephen is saying on a deeper level, right? And then it just mm-hmm. gives me that, right? It pr- predicts that and, and, and thereby like helps me understand what you're saying and, mm-hmm. and then does reverse so that we, so we could actually like just understand each other's intent better and understand each other's motivations and intent, but right. So th- that's the kind of thing that is interesting and inspiring to me. You know, you could imagine that kind of system enabling people to bridge political divides, to stop misunderstanding each other, hate each other less, all this kind of stuff. That's, um, that's cool. It's also very hard. Um, and, you know, you can build systems that do the opposite of that, as we see all around us. And, and so the, um, like, the way that I think about, so, I mean, this is a, so, I mean, this is kind of a crappy metaphor, but I'll just throw it out there. Anyway, so, I mean, sometimes the way I think about technology is that it's like, it's kind of like this big wave that uh, we're all like surfing and it's getting bigger. It's like a big, you know, it's building. So, and, and, and so what that means is that like, if we manage, it, it kind of like, you know, if we, if we uh, manage to surf it, then like the experience gets better and better and better. It gets more and more like mm-hmm. amazing. It also gets harder to surf, you know, mm-hmm. and the consequences of falling get worse. So, um, but you're still having a good time, you know, hopefully, hopefully we're having a good time. I mean, you know, we're having as good a time as we can have. And, you know, but the, the other thing is like, um, we don't, we, we don't have a choice. We don't have a choice. We, you know, we have to get, we have to continue to work harder and harder and harder to, to sort of stay on this wave and like, you know, keep modernity working and for as many people as possible and, you know, keep the, um, uh, keep the, uh, you know, essentially just, we, we need to get faster and faster and faster at solving more and more complex problems. And, um, and it, it's, and, and it, it, it's a tough job, but, uh, it, it is inspiring and, um, and somebody's got to do it. Let's do it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, if, I can, no. if I can shill for democracy another time before scooting out, I think, you know, Matt's totally right. Things are going to be complex, more and more issues to be solved, all of that stuff. And the thing we do have a choice in is can we use the collective intelligence of humanity that we have to answer those problems? Or are we going to try to keep funding them to a very small group, keeps coming up with the same stuff and keeps like, you know, hurting those broad groups? And I think. It's it's a case for for efficiency to say let's have more people solving these problems in ways that's good for them. That's going to just go better, you know. So that's my final final democracy. Do it, shill. <laughs> do you want to do, Dimitri? Do you have any Do you have any thoughts for us? As someone you've been uh, listening in here, you know we rap about this stuff all the time. So I, what are your thoughts you know here me. in this conversation? You know me. I have lots of thoughts. It's like Bobby's world going on in my head all day. Uh, old school reference for the old people that listen. Um, I just think that crypto needs more historians because a lot of the conversation I see that's evolved in the crypto industry is leading towards, oh, we've already solved that problem. Like read a history book, right? We need, we need more historians, well-paid historians and psychologists in crypto to, to understand that we're, we're crossing the same caverns again and crossing the same tranches again. Uh, just a different flavor, right? Um, 
you know, democracy is an act and a noun, but power tends to trumpet whenever it can and how often as it can, which is why we in our state, in our system have a balance of powers, right? We've got three branches and they all have powers that are interconnected to not allow one branch to get too powerful. And we just got to pay attention to it. And like you said, Divya, act. If we're contributing to the democracy, then that balance of powers works really great. It works. It works really great. Um, so it's just like we need we just need a bunch of historians to come into crypto to start like say, hey, you know, like you said, Divya, like this culture tried that in the 12th century. This is how it went. Let's take the <laughs> best of it. Let's apply it to this new system and let's take the worst of it and leave it in, in the history where it belongs. Right. And if we had more people from more walks of life all over the planet being exposed to these problems that we've probably already solved and they're sitting in someone's history book, um, then I think it'll be great. I think it'll be great. So nah, that's a that's a great that's a great way to close it up and reach more people with more broad perspectives at the table. And we can damn sure afford it now. Uh, as far as like how much, yeah. how much capital is sloshing around the space? You got these dows of billions of dollars. Y'all better pay somebody to come <laughs> hang out in that to score with a, with a PhD in psychology. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it makes sense to invite these people to have these seats at the table, um, but also not only have these seats at the tables, but to just pull up with their own chair too. Kind of like how like Divya said like earlier, and she was like, "Y'all started talking about stuff that mattered to me, so I felt like I needed to like swoop in and say something." You know what I mean? Like. We're at a point where it's like these technologies are touching us on the day to day. You know, we pause an entire infrastructure bill in order to like get our word in. You know what I mean? Like this, this stuff is only going to continue to become more hardened and we're going to have more and more say as we get deeper into the space. So that being said, I want to just say that to just close all this out and thank Matt and Divya for the time and these conversations. Thank them for their work that they're doing into this space and their, their collaborations and uh, what I like to call like, you know, co-opting you know, these other different people like into our industry, but like having these hard, very intellectual conversations too. Um, so again, yeah, thank you too for being you. And um, it's been a pleasure like working with you guys and uh, love to have you back uh, more so in the future as one, as these tools continue to evolve, as you two continue to research and work on different things that you feel like you might need to bring the attention to the greater space too. And um, we're happy to be serving as a platform to uh, educate people on that. So yeah, thank you too for your time. Thank you. Thank Terrific. You. Thank yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Pleasure as always.